All right, well, like I said, welcome. It's good to have all of you here today. Excited to see some of you back after a busy summer. It's always good to see more people. So today we're going to just continue. We've been doing a series on covenants for the last six weeks, the last month and a half. What's that? That's good. So we've been doing a, a series on covenants for the last six weeks. And so today we are in part six of our covenants on New Testament. And some of you, if you're really observant, you'd probably be saying, hey, wait a minute, you did part six last week. How come you're doing part six again? Okay, I'm going to be really open and really honest and vulnerable with you. The reason we're doing part six is because when I got home last week, I realized that my message last week was terrible. It was terrible. It was one of those messages while you're giving it, you're just like, I am just not connecting well. I am not explaining this well. On paper, my message was really, really good. But then verbally, I'm giving it, I'm like, this isn't really connecting to people. And I can tell people after a while, I'm just looking outside like, when is this going to be over? (laughs) And on top of that, this freezer in this kitchen started vibrating. I don't know if you heard that, like the wall was vibrating. So it's like every single thing was stacking up to be like a terrible message. So I am here this week to do my message over again. Now, it's not going to be the same exact message. I kind of took some new material. I figured I'll get rid of this stuff from last week. So I'm being vulnerable with you and telling you um, I'm doing a do-over. Some of you probably are thinking you're not being that humble because I was here last week, and I know that wasn't that good of a message, so it's not like you're being that transparent. So anyway, I'm here today to try to take a shot again at my message on the new covenant. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is because it is so important that we understand the New Testament covenant. It's so important that we don't just, just know the old covenant, but that we fully understand what the New Testament covenant is all about because it is essential for not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with everybody else that we come in contact with. And it's important for our relationship, even with ourselves. See, at the core of it, the New Covenant is all about a second chance. The New Covenant is all about God saying, I'm going to allow you to be born again so you can experience a new life. So it's only appropriate that I would take a shot at a sermon again, kind of like a second chance. So early, so that's what we're going to do today. So I'm not really repeating my message from last week. That was maybe maybe that would be a, like a, a long introduction. This is, I have a little bit more practical information on, on how we actually do covenants. What, how, do you, how do you live in the New Testament covenant period? So earlier this summer, the Lord kind of been impressing upon me that I, I needed to be more open. I needed to be more honest and transparent with the Lord. With my relationship with the Lord was just kind of hindered because sometimes I wasn't as open to him as I really should be. And I felt the Lord was just saying, Jack, you have to acknowledge some things before me instead of living in denial. And that's hard to hear from the Lord because I think sometimes, for me personally, you get to a point in your life and you think to yourself, I really should have more of my life figured out by now. Especially, you know, you're a pastor. You think, man, I should really got to know a lot more of this stuff and be a lot more, have life a lot more figured out. And I notice I, what I do with myself, and I don't know if any of you relate to this, instead of head-on facing maybe situations or struggles or trials in your life, you kind of live a little bit in denial. You kind of pretend like, well, maybe they don't really exist. And so my quest to become a little bit better in my life, I just think I, what I did was I managed the art of living in denial. 
kind of ignoring maybe struggles or trials or, or difficulties in life, just saying, you know, I'm just going to kind of ignore things. See, the Bible is very clear that we need to deny our flesh. It's very clear that we need to deny pursuing things that are not godly. The Bible's very clear about how we need to avoid or step away from temptation. See, we understand that. That's really good advice. But I think sometimes what is hard for us is to actually acknowledge some of the things that we have to deny. It's actually difficult for us to maybe acknowledge that we have struggles or temptations or trials or things in our life that are really difficult for us. So I've learned over the summer is that there is a very big difference from living in denial or from living a life of denying. There's a different, it's very different there. See, living in denial simply means that I kind of ignore. I pretend that things don't exist because I really don't want to deal with them. Or I remember maybe I pretend like problems in my life really aren't as significant as what they are, so I just kind of avoid them. But see, the Bible tells us that we need to deny ourselves. See, denial is a very, de deny is a very different thing because denying is actually acknowledging that you might have a problem. See, a lot of you are familiar with the verse in Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, what Matthew is saying here, he's saying if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you do need to deny yourself. But how you deny yourself is by actually acknowledging some of the struggles that you have in your life. That you might actually have to acknowledge before God the cross that you are carrying, which refers to maybe some of the obstacles that you have in your own life, and bring them before God. The verse goes on in chapter in verse 25 and says, so for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, again, this is one of these verses in the Bible that's just a little counterintuitive to our thinking. Sometimes we look at that verse and say, that just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That I would lose my life, but I would gain my life. And sometimes we look at verses like that and say it don't make sense. And I think we do the same with verse 24, that actually acknowledging some of your struggles or trials would actually be a way that God wants you to live your life. That actually acknowledging would be a way to deny it. See, I think we've, I've had to learn that denial is not a good option for the simple reason because just living in denial never leads to freedom. See, because God wants us to bring every single one of our challenges, our burdens, our obstacles, every single situation that we are facing in life, God wants us to bring it to Him. Because see, the truth is, none of us were designed to carry our own burdens. None of us were created or designed to carry our own burdens. None of us were designed to carry the load that Jesus wants to carry for us. So how's God going to carry our burdens? So we talk about that at times. Okay, Jesus is going to carry my burdens for me. But how does that actually happen? How does that happen? Here's a verse in Matthew 11. I think it's very, it's very, you probably a lot of you have heard this verse. 
And this verse sums up a lot of what life is like under this New Testament covenant. A lot of this verse is what is life like with Jesus Christ? See, in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think we read that first part of the verse, and we're like, okay, that's a good plan. I come to Jesus because I am weary, and I'm carrying a heavy burden, and he's going to give me rest. I think we all like that plan. But then the question is, how do these burdens from mine transfer over to Jesus? And my guess is probably everyone in this room has transferred, has tried to give their burdens over to Jesus. And you've asked Jesus to take something from you, but probably a second later you feel like you got it back again. I mean, I think there's times where I would come before Jesus and say, here, here's my burden, carry it. And I feel like that game of hot potato where he just kind of tossed it right back at me. You kind of feel like, well, Jesus, I gave it to you, but I don't feel any different. What's kind of going on here? And I think sometimes when that happens in our life, when we give something to the Lord and it seems like you come back, it's easy to get pretty discouraged and think, well, what did I do wrong here because I feel like I'm still carrying this burden? And that becomes kind of discouraging after a while because you think, like, I tried to give this to Jesus, but I feel like I'm still carrying it on my own. So you already have a burden that you're carrying, and now you think you give it to Jesus and he gives it right back, you feel extra bad. I think we all kind of probably know what that feels like a little bit when you're trying to give something to Jesus because you do want to live a life of rest. See, I think for me, one of my problems was I didn't understand totally what verse 29 and 30 means. See, later in this, this section of Scripture, it says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give to you is light. See, I didn't understand that part of the scripture. See, sometimes that really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me that I would take a yoke upon me. That doesn't sound that comfortable either. And here's a picture of a yoke. That just doesn't look a whole lot comfortable but putting your head in there. That looks uncomfortable. And that's the picture I think a lot of us think of a yoke. Like, <laughs> really? That doesn't look easy. That looks pretty difficult. In fact, the further picture that we have about the yoke is that. <laughs> Which one do you want to be? <laughs> that's not that appealing. That's kind of the picture that that scripture is giving us, that, you know, Jesus is the one oxen and we're the other and we're carrying Jack's burdens together. That doesn't look very appealing. That looks difficult. That looks everything but easy. That doesn't look light. That doesn't look comfortable. But yet that's kind of the picture that that passage gives to us. But see, I think one thing that we misunderstand sometimes is that in order to be yoked, you don't have to have two oxen that have the strength and the same ability and the same capability to pull a load. All that you really need is one strong ox. All you need is one strong ox to carry that load. And the, ne the ox next to it can be very, very weak and can be very scrawny 
and doesn't really have the ability. And that's really the picture of Jesus carrying our burden for us, is that Jesus is the one prized possession ox that is carrying the yoke, and he's pulling the weight. And we are simply coming next to Jesus in our weakness, in our frailty. Thank you. (laughs) Big words for me today. That's the picture Jesus wants us to see, is that he is the one carrying the weight. He's the one actually carrying the yoke. The weight is on him. We simply come alongside of him and put our little head through that little yoke, but he's pulling the weight. See, the scripture tells us that what Jesus is going to do when we get in the yoke is he's going to teach us. That's our position of learning is when we just follow right next to Jesus while he's pulling our burdens for us. That we just step in and we just follow right next to Jesus as he is pulling us and carrying the load and carrying the burden. See, the Bible wants us, Jesus wants to understand that that burden is light and that yoke is actually my friend. Because see, that yoke connects me to Jesus. And it tells me that the position that I need to be in is I come alongside of Jesus and he's carrying my load for me. So today I am officially taking a mulligan on my message last week. Now see, you don't have to be a mulligan to understand, you don't have to be a golfer to understand what a mulligan is all about. See, a mulligan is a golfing term for you get a second chance. You get a do-over, you get a try again. And I bet most of you have no idea where the word mulligan came up, came from. I'm going to teach you something today. All you golfers, amazing what Google can do if you spend a little time. So back in the early 1920s, probably 30s or 40s, there was these four men that would golf with each other each and every week. And one of the golfers was a Canadian-born golfer by the name of David Bernard Mulligan. And these four guys would go to the golf course each and every week, and David would be the first one up each week. And he would always put his tee in the ground, he would take his club, he would hit the ball. And this day, what he did was, he put his ball in the ground, he hit the ball, he sliced it, and his ball went way off in the woods. So what David did was he quickly got another ball out of his pocket, pulled it down, and he was aiming to hit again, and all his friends are like, hey, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? You can't do that. And David said, of course I can. I'm taking a correction shot. And his friends were like, well, what's a correction shot? And he said, it's a mulligan. So that's where the term has come up with for maybe it's getting close to 100 years. A mulligan is just attempt to do it over again. And I think, too, that is a little bit what the new covenant is like with Jesus. It's an opportunity to do it again. Because, see, some of us understand what it's like to hit a ball and have it slice and go in the woods. Some of us understand what it's like that maybe some of the situations in your life feel like they're just lost in the woods somewhere. You did something that you want a second chance at. You want that correction shot. And so that's kind of what New Covenant is all about, God giving us the opportunity to do a do-over, to give us an opportunity. But see, the hard thing about taking a mulligan or a do-over is actually coming before the Lord and being honest about the mistakes that you've made. Being honest before God and saying, yeah, this is what I've done. 
and this was I need from you. Sometimes it can be hard to come before God in that attitude of repentance and say, God, would you forgive me for what I have done? See, that's part of taking a correction shot is actually acknowledging what I've done wrong. And that's a hard thing to do, to acknowledge mistakes we've made or sins we've done or maybe an attitude we have or a behavior that we're stuck in. It can be kind of a difficult thing to do. And see, that's why part of the New Testament covenant is to help us learn how do we relate to Jesus? How do we relate to God? See, it's easy to kind of know a little bit about God and have a relation and understand some knowledge of God, but how do you really know how to relate to God, especially when maybe some of your life seems like it's in the woods, that you're having a difficult thing in your life? See, it's very important that we understand how to relate to God to actually enjoy our relationship with God. You might think that's kind of a strange thing to say, that we would actually need to know how to relate to God to, to know how to have our enjoyment with God. See, we need to understand that because, see, often we relate to God kind of like we don't really know Him that well. I think we know what it's like when you meet a person for the first time and, and you're getting to know that person a little bit and you feel like, uh, I don't know that person well, so you don't know really how to act around that person. And it takes a while before you get comfortable uh, with another person to know how to act with them. It's kind of like dating. Maybe you went on a few dates, you kind of like the person, you kind of enjoy them, but you're not really sure how to totally act around another person. So sometimes you feel like you're kind of fumbling in your relationship. And I think that happens sometimes with our relationship with God. We, when we come to know Him, when we get saved, we know Him maybe formally, and we, it seems that maybe it's a little bit more robotic, our relationship with Him, but it takes a while sometimes to get really comfortable with God, to be very open and honest with God. See, the truth is, you're not going to be yourself around another person until you get a little bit, until you know that person a little bit better. And that's part of what New Testament covenant does for us. It helps us to know God better through Jesus Christ. And see, it's important that our relationship with God does grow and develop because that's going to inform everything we believe. And it's important that our beliefs are determined by our relationship with God because our beliefs are going to determine every single one of our behaviors, good or bad. Our beliefs will always drive our behavior, and that's why the New Testament covenant is so important because in there God highlights on how we relate to him and how we have a community with him to determine our behaviors. But see, the problem comes in our life that sometimes we are understanding what we need to believe. But see, sometimes in our life, what creeps in is desires that we might have that are ungodly or unbiblical. And then we say, how does this relate to this relationship I have with God? See, the truth is, for many of us, we have a lot of different desires. Some of the desires that we have are gifts from God that maybe would be better at something, or maybe we would learn a, a talent or a skill or ability or those are all good desires that God gives us, but I think some of us understand what it's like to have an un a desire that is completely unwanted. That you're like, wait a minute, there's things I want to do that is not right at all. And some of us have unwanted desires and feelings. What do you do with stuff like that? 
What do you do when there's things in your life that maybe you want, but you know it's ungodly? What do you do when you have situations in your life of things that maybe you want to do that you know would just be embarrassing if anybody ever found out? And so a lot of us don't like to acknowledge some of the desires that we have because, well, they're unwanted, and maybe we're embarrassed by them, and so we don't really know how to deal with things. And I think sometimes we have a hard time bringing stuff like that before the Lord because we are frankly too embarrassed about it. Or we think maybe I should be able to handle that on my own. What do you do when you have something in your life that you need to bring before God and you just maybe are too intimidated to do it? I think to a certain level, probably some of you might understand what that's like. And I think I understand what that's like, and that's why God's saying, you've got to be honest with me. That's why I want you to deny yourself, but you need to acknowledge at the same point what it is that you need to deny before God. See, there's a beautiful promise in Psalm 145, verse 6. David is talking about God where it says, You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. A couple verses later, David says that you satisfy the desires that everyone, for everyone that fears the Lord. See, this is a promise of God that he wants to do for every single person that is a follower of Jesus Christ, that he wants to satisfy every single desire that you have. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can trust with confidence that God wants to do this in your life. Now, you might be thinking, well, that seems kind of strange that he wants to satisfy every single one of my desires because some of my desires, well, frankly, aren't that good. So how is God going to satisfy a desire that I have that is something unwanted or something that I don't even want to talk about or something embarrassing or something that's not biblical? How would God actually satisfy that desire? How's he going to do that? And I think it's easy to look at that verse and say, I don't think he's going to do it. But see, the truth is, underneath every single desire is a need that needs to be met. Often what is shown in the desire would just lead you to the real need that a person might have. And that's what God is interested in doing, is going deep between, below the surface and saying, I'm going to meet a need that you have that you're probably not even aware of. You're so focused on the desire that you have in your life, you're not even aware of the need that is really deep below the surface. And that's what God wants to meet for every single one of us. See, in Philippians 4, verse 19, it says it this way, and it says, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to go below the surface and to satisfy every single need that you have. And often when he satisfies that need that's below the surface, then you're going to see the extinguishment of maybe a desire that you have. But see, the key is you've got to be really honest with God. You have to be really honest with Jesus. You can't lie to yourself. But you have to be honest with Jesus and tell him, some of these desires that you might have. 
even if you think, man, I don't even want to talk about that. But the same thing is true about even a good godly desire that you have that you think is not being met. You need to go before the Lord with that as well. And see, that's the hard part sometimes is that honesty part of what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. That we have to bring everything to him. But how do you do that? How do you bring things to God? As I said earlier, sometimes it feels like when I bring things to God that he's like tossing it right back at me. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a popular metaphor that's used to talk about our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus, and that is a table. In the Old Testament, we see that table showing up in the tabernacle that there's a table right outside of the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And the table was right next to it with bread on top of it. The bread is always a sign of fellowship and communion. And that stood in the Old Testament right outside of the holies, the holies, the place that God dwelled. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament. Jesus comes in the New Testament and he picks up the same metaphor of a table. But instead of the loaf of bread on top of the table, Jesus becomes the bread at the table. And the whole metaphor is used to describe coming to the table to find fellowship but to also find reconciliation. And all through the New Testament, where does Jesus meet with people that are sinners and outcast and marginalized and discouraged and frustrated and hurt? He meets them at the table. He meets them at a table for fellowship with him. And when you go to a table that is a, that's a, that's a, that in the New Testament, it was this beautiful picture of reconciliation. If you invited somebody to sit at a table with you and have a meal with you, it was for the sole purpose of fellowship and reconciliation. And that's where Jesus invites each of us each and every day to come sit at a table with him, to sit down at a table with him, to be open and honest and transparent with him. But see, sometimes that is hard to get to a table with Jesus and say, be that honest? That can be a difficult thing to do. But that's Jesus' invitation over and over again to each of us. But sometimes I think I sit at the table with Jesus and I'm like, I'm not sure really what I need. I'm not really sure what to ask you to give to me because I'm a little out of touch with even my desires. I'm a little out of touch with maybe even my needs. I just know I feel off. I'm not sure what I need today. And I think sometimes we avoid going to Jesus because we're not sure what to ask for. We're not even sure how to be that honest. And so we avoid maybe being too transparent with Jesus, saying that's too difficult. But see, in Mark 10, verse 45, there's a beautiful verse, a beautiful promise that Jesus gives, and it's not in your notes, and I better read it, where Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life for ransom for many. See, that's a beautiful verse where Jesus is talking about what he came... Oh, it is there. <laughs> Look what Becky does when I go to sleep. <laughs> the thing she does. See, that's Jesus' promise saying, look what I'm going to do for you. See, that, bio, that verse where it says Jesus came to serve, that's a ver- that word actually in the Greek means deacon. That Jesus came to be your deacon. And you're like, what does a deacon do? See, a deacon is a word that would be the same word as a waiter or a waitress. Somebody that's going to come to you and is going to serve you food and drink. If you go back to Psalm 145 where it says Jesus gives you the desires, takes care of your desires or satisfies your desires, another word that other translations use is he's going to give you the food and drink that you need. See, it's that whole metaphor of a table. You come to the table, and Jesus is going to sit at the table to reconcile you, but Jesus is also going to be your waiter, and he's going to walk around the table, and he's going to help you figure out what you need. You just need to come to the table. Jesus is that good waiter that's going to help you figure out what you're hungry for that day. You know, it's like to go to a restaurant, and you're sitting there, you really don't know what you want, and you really like that really good waiter, that kind of Get your taste buds a little excited, like this is what we have on the menu, and this is it. You kind of excited for what you need. That's what Jesus does when you sit down at a table with him. He'll help you figure out what he needs to do for you. He will help you figure out how he can serve you, how he can take care of your needs, how he can supply you with the food and the drink that you need to be satisfied. And that's the beautiful picture of coming to the table with Jesus. And I think sometimes I've had to learn in my life that when I come before Jesus, sometimes I need to slow down a little bit and maybe sit in his presence and maybe let Jesus serve me a little bit. Maybe tell me what's on the menu and what's available to me. I have a tendency to kind of sit with my time with Jesus and say, I got to quick, I got to go. I'm kind of in a hurry. So let me quick pray. Let me quick read some scripture because I got to get out of here and go. And what I've had to learn a lot this summer for myself was to slow down and to actually sit with Jesus. I've had to learn to take like Psalm 145 And maybe just read that over and over again, that verse that I read about he sat with his open hands. I've had to learn sometimes to meditate means to focus on maybe one or two verses to let God speak to me through those. And to slow down a little bit when I meet with God because sometimes I'm in such a big hurry that I'm just eating so fast I don't even, real, or not even eating or enjoying that relationship. See, the interesting thing is that when you come before God and you pour out to Him your heart, you pour out to Him the things that you are carrying you pour out to him the burdens that you're carrying, what you actually end up doing is you start to defeat your enemy. You're wondering, how does that defeat my enemies when I'm going to be honest with Jesus? See, your enemies are defeated when maybe the struggle in your life or the burden in your life drives you to Jesus. That's victory. That's victory is the thing that was The thing that was attempting, the thing that's attempting to destroy your relationship with God, 
when that is used to drive you to Jesus, that's victory. That's victory. That what the enemy is trying to use to hurt you and to steal from you and to kill you, but you can actually use that to drive you to Jesus, that's victory. And that is how you defeat your enemy. I think a lot of you know the famous passage from 2 Corinthians where it talks about Paul's talking about his thorn in his flesh. And he talks about three times I went to God and I asked him to remove this from my life. And then Paul goes on to say this famous verse in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 11. It says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecution, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong. See, again, that's another one of those counterintuitive verses that doesn't seem to make sense. How do I get strength in my weakness? See, you get strength for your weakness when it drives you to Jesus. And it puts you in the yoke with Jesus because suddenly you have the strength of Jesus carrying the yoke and pulling your burdens. That's how you get strength out of your weakness. When it drives you to Jesus, it because it puts you in the right relationship with Jesus where he starts carrying the load. And you're just following along. That yoke is not even resting heavily on you. That's when the burden becomes light because Jesus is carrying the yoke. That's when it becomes easy because Jesus is pulling the load. And you're just on the side just learning. He's just teaching you the whole time you're going through and that's the beautiful thing about how your weaknesses can make you strong. But see, often, see, like Paul talked about three times I went before the Lord. Okay, I admire Paul a lot, but I'm not that impressed with three times. <laughs> I think most of us have lapped Paul several times. Gone to the Lord way more than three times, said, could you take something away? Could you do something about this? Like Paul, you only had asked three times? Well, but see, I think what we easily get frustrated if we don't get Paul's perspective is we get frustrated because, God, I brought this to you three times. How come life is not different? See, I think a lot of times we want God to change our situation, change that situation, and God say, no, I want to change your perspective. I want to give you a whole different perspective of what's going on with that desire that you have. I want that to teach you something way bigger. And that's a hard thing when we have to learn things. But as Paul said, that's where I find strength. And that's what the Lord wants to teach each of us, is no matter what we are carrying, no matter the burden that we have, he wants to teach us that he has the strength to carry it forward. And see, that's the whole purpose of these Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant is that we would have a personal and an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. See, we know from the Old Testament covenant that part of what God wanted to do in all the covenants is that he wanted to dwell with his people. The three parts of the covenants are we would know who God is, we would know who we are, and third, that God would dwell in our midst. And so all through the Old Testament, you hear the importance of that tabernacle. You hear the importance of the, the, the temple. 
But see, those buildings weren't important just because they were buildings. The reason that they were insignificant is because God was in those buildings. In whatever houses, the presence of God becomes very, very significant. Wherever God lives becomes significant. And because God lived in the tabernacle and because God lived in the temple, those two buildings became very, very significant. But look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. That's why each of us are significant is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit that was once living in the tabernacle that went to live in the temple is now living inside of each of us. And because he's living inside of us, we are incredibly significant. We're very significant to God. And when we start to grasp the significance of who we are because of the Lord living inside of us, suddenly these burdens and these unwanteds and these desires that we have start to get a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller because we understand the significance of who God is. And then we understand why God wants to dwell in every single part of us because we are so significant and valuable to him. And that's why God wants to meet our needs and take care of our desires, because he desires to reign more and more in each of us. In chapter 11 of the book of Genesis is that story of the Tower of Babel. Some of you probably know that story. In the middle of the, the book of Genesis, you're talking about genealogies, and suddenly you get these, this little chunk of nine or ten verses in there. And it talks about a group of people that do not dwell next to the temple, and they don't dwell with a tabernacle. They're out of relationship with God, and they have no God living inside of them. So a group of people says, what we are going to do is we're going to build for ourselves this great big city, and it's going to be a wonderful city, and we're going to build a staircase up to heaven. They go, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. See, the problem here is the people that are building the city, they're saying, we want God, but we want God on our own terms. And we want God on our own conditions, and God doesn't go for that one bit. God says, no, I will build a staircase from heaven to you, and that's the new covenant, as he sends Jesus to each of us to reconcile us. See, that story of the Tower of Babel, we understand that there is no way for us to connect with the Holy God. But we need the Holy God to come connect to each of us. And see, the Tower of Babel, is a, it's a story of how people try to create with how do people try to connect with God on their own terms? And it doesn't work well at all. See, each of us has desires and wants and needs, and we're trying to get something else to fulfill them, where God is saying, no, I have the solution. It's through the new covenant with Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to understand the New Testament covenant, we really need to understand the two themes of the book of Exodus even in the Old Testament, that set up the conditions for the covenant. The two themes of the book of Exodus is, number one, deliverance, and number two, the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, the purpose of the covenant was to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt and to move them into the presence of God. And see, sometimes in our own life, I think we get so focused on the deliverance 
getting out of a situation that we forget the goal is to live in the presence of God. Sometimes we want to get out of bondage, out of Egypt so bad that that's all we focus on. But God's like, no, I have bigger plans for you. I want you to live in my presence. See, the Israelites received a lot of promises of God while they were still living in Egypt, and the promises of God helped move the Israelites out of captivity and brought them into the wilderness. And when they got into the wilderness, God gave them his presence. He dwelt in their midst. And it was while they were living in the midst of God that they could actually enter into the promised land. And that's what God wants to do for each one of us. He wants us to intimately know him, that he will live inside of a more and more of us because that's what gets us into the promised land. The promised land is really a metaphor for the heart of God. God wants all of us to live more and more inside of his heart. That was the goal thousands of years ago, and that's still the same goal today, is that we will live in that intimate fellowship relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Every part of the covenant points to Jesus Christ. See, covenants is simply God's way of saying, there are things that you can't do in your life on your own. But I'm going to have Jesus step in and carry that load for you. That's a beautiful picture of that ox, is that he's doing for us what none of us could do on our own. See, we would like to be able to pull our burdens on our own, but none of us were designed or capable of doing it. And so the new covenant steps in and says, this is what Jesus is going to do for you. This is what Jesus is going to do for you. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the, the worship team to come back and to lead us in one more song. And after service, I'm going to have the prayer team come up forward too, if any of you would like prayer today. Because we're talking about this message and we're talking about uh, the beauty of the New Testament covenant and talking about what Jesus can do for us, sometimes we might recognize maybe I do need a mulligan or maybe I do need a do-over or maybe I need to be honest with myself and with God of the situation that I'm in right now. And maybe we can come before God even while they, they're leading us in the last song. And maybe some of us just need to get honest and say, God, I, I need to give this to you and ask you to carry it for me again. And help me to understand my position in the yoke with you. That I would give up the right to be in control, but I would just stay right alongside next to you. That's the hard place to be in to give up control and maybe God's going to lead you in places that you never thought you would go before so as they lead us in this last song let's, let's, let's sing but let's also ask the Lord to help us to get in the right place we need to be Father I do thank you for today and I thank you Lord that you are the good shepherd and the good waiter and the good deacon. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to sit with you for the goal of reconciliation. I thank you, Lord, that you want every single person here to be reconciled to you, God the Father, today.
that maybe if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're feeling him nudging at your life today. And maybe for the first time in your life, you want to respond to what God is already doing on the inside of you and saying, yeah, I want to follow you. So I'm going to surrender my life to you today. Or maybe you're here today and you've been following Jesus, but you have to admit maybe you haven't been doing it too good. And you feel like you've maybe sliced a few balls in there in the woods somewhere and you just need to say, God, i got to be honest about my situation. And can I have a do-over? Would you give me the opportunity to start fresh today? Father, I pray that you'd bless each person here. That you would encourage us, Lord, that we can get back in the plow with you. That we can cast our burdens on you and that, Lord, you are going to hold them. But Lord, would you teach us how to give up control? Lord, bless us today, I pray, with the ability to follow you, maybe in a way we've never, ever done before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.